Hello and welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership podcast series, the world's largest weekly audio and video podcast dedicated to the topic of leadership. Each week we turn the spotlight onto someone that we think can bring you insights and value from their own research, writings, as a practitioner, often they're internal thought leaders from the Franklin Covey Company, and increasingly more often we turn the spotlight onto people outside of the firm. And this, today's guest is a decade-long friend of the Franklin Covey Company, a personal friend of mine, mentor, coach, and prolific best-selling author. You know him from many of his books, including The Carrot Principle, he was a previous guest on Leadership with Leading with Gratitude. And today, Chester Elton joins us on his new book out today, Anxiety at Work. Chester Elton, welcome back to On Leadership. Oh, it's always a delight to be with you, Scott. I, I followed your work for a long time as well. And always a privilege to spend time with good people that are out there doing good things. So thank you for the invitation. Man, it's our honor. Chester, this is your second appearance on, on Leadership. You've been a friend of Franklin Covey for decades. You and I have on occasion shared the stage. You are always the headliner and I'm the breakout session. Hope, hopefully someday I'll rise to your level of influence. But the reason you wear orange and most of your appearances is remind our audience why. Well, we, we wrote a whole series of carrot books. My co-author, Adrian Gostick, is the brilliant writer. I gotta give him total props. And yes, we, we, we orange carrots, it's the carrot. I, people send me orange socks, they send me carrot birdhouses, I have carrot pepper shakers, and I only ever wear orange socks. So yeah, it's a happy color, it's my favorite color. It's the carrot color, it's my life, and I'm trapped, I'll only wear orange. I mean, you are uh, one of the few leading experts globally on you know, understanding employee loyalty, right? And you've written extensively around gratitude and how people are engaged in the workplace. You're the author, co-author of many prolific books. Your new book out today is called Anxiety at Work, Eight Strategies to Help Teams Build Resilience, Handle Uncertainty, and Get Stuff Done. And uh, this is a serious topic. In fact, you bring a lot of gravity this topic. Your co-author's, I think, son has suffered with some of this. We've all suffered to some level of anxiety, of course, exacerbated in the last you know, year and a half with the pandemic. So what I'd like to do today is, with you, kind of destigmatize what is a very natural challenge that all of us face. You're not a clinical psychologist, you're not a psychiatrist, but you have a you know, nearly 40 plus year decade understanding how organizations work, what makes great leaders, how to build engaged teams. We talk a bit about why you wrote this as your current book. In fact, you opened the, the book with a story around how you and your co-author were in real time giving a keynote in the midst of the onslaught of the pandemic. <laughs> Would you reshare that story and talk about why this became this passion project for you? Yes, well, passion project for a couple of reasons. And that story, it really was crazy, you know, for those of us that were caught up in it, you know, we, here we, we're at this conference and all of a sudden everybody's, you know, looking for hand sanitizer, their phones are blowing up. We're here to talk about, you know, gratitude and uh, the it's the last thing people want to talk about. So we really changed what we were going to talk about and said, you know, we really, it's about caring about each other. It's about dealing with that anxiety. It's about looking out for each other. And, and it, it was really interesting to watch the whole mood of the 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 you know the ballroom just sort of calmed down people relaxed a little bit we were able to reach people with a great message and you know it, it is interesting you talk about why this is a real passion play for us you know um 
if you notice the, the front of the book, this is not a Gostick and Elton book. It's a Gostick, Elton, and Gostick book. Right. Uh, Anthony Gostick is, is one of our co-authors, which is Adrian's son that has dealt with severe anxiety for most of his life. And I had a, a son who dealt with anxiety as well. And so not only was it something we felt very strongly about that you needed to destigmatize in the workplace, it was something that we had seen uh, front and center in, in our own lives. And so uh, a quick story that was kind of funny because I was doing another uh, podcast, you know, today being the release of the book, we're doing a bunch of them. And a guy says, how do you go from leading with gratitude to anxiety at work? Isn't that sort of polar opposite, <laughs> right? And we said, actually, if you look at the eight strategies, the eighth strategy is how you use gratitude to tamp down anxiety. That you can't be in a state of gratitude and a state of anxiety at the same play at the same time. And so as my father would say, if you have a choice between gratitude and anxiety, choose gratitude. <laughs> it's it's a happier place to be. So long answer to a short question. I hope that made sense. It does. In fact, Chester, you tackle a pretty weighty topic here. We interviewed uh, previously a child psychologist that talked about one of the biggest issues facing children around the world is anxiety and the number of parents that are dealing with different types of anxiety is exponentiating. This is a ever-present issue in everyone's lives. And although, again, you're not a clinician, you talk in your book about the kind of two main categorizations of anxiety. One of them is the symptoms of stress and worry. And another one, you know, in fact, is a mental disorder. Can you talk a bit about how ubiquitous anxiety has come and maybe the two types of anxiety that a lot of us face in some role in our life or perhaps with some member of our family or our work team? Yeah, great question. You know, it's really interesting. Uh, a lot of times we use anxiety and stress interchangeably and they're not. Yeah. You know, stress is kind of that momentary thing. I've got a deadline or it's a, it's a episodic, you know, there's a certain event and it comes and it goes. Anxiety is that thing that's always in the back of your head. And it was really interesting as we looked at the research, and by the way, we've got a database of over a million engagement surveys, as well as 100,000 people that have taken our own motivators assessment. And pre-pandemic, pre, pre about 20% of people said that they had anxiety to the point where it was, it was, it was clinical, it was, it was debilitating. Uh, now in, in 2020, it's almost a third. So it's rising. Now, what's even more interesting, you talk about children, uh, people in their 20s, it's over 40%. It's almost 45%. So this idea that it's that thing that we don't talk about, well, maybe we don't talk about it. It's always there. And all of us have dealt with it at, at, at some degree. So the hope for this book is, is to get it out and talk about it, right? I'll, I'll tell you a cute story. So uh, we were talking to Tony, and we, we interviewed all these millennials and, and Gen Z, you know, and... Um, my generation, I'm the tail end of the baby boomers. We would never talk about this stuff. Yeah. I mean, you would leave your personal life at the door. If anything came up, you would take it and you'd just push it down and let it ferment until it killed you, right? But you'd never talk about it. We talked to these millennials in Gen Z and they said, that's all we talk about. Because we think if you can't talk about it, you can't fix it. You can't find a solution. So this idea of and I hope there, this really resonates with the listeners and viewers is that you've got, to de you've got to normalize it. You know, everybody's dealing with it. You've got to talk about it. You've got to normalize it. You've got to destigmatize it. It's nothing worse than, you know, when you got the flu if you couldn't come in or you broke your leg skiing. I mean, if you needed to take care of that, we'd say, absolutely. You know, say, hey, I'm a little overwhelmed. Say, oh, can't hack it, right? And then you've got to empathize. 
And I know we'll get into that a little more. Such a big difference between sympathize and empathize, right? And leaders that can normalize it, destigmatize it, and empathize with with people that are struggling with anxiety at whatever level, boy, they attract the best and the and, and the brightest. They retain the best and the brightest, and they create a culture that really just thrives and and is so resilient and just gets stuff done. Does that make sense to you? It, it does. In fact, to bring that to illustration, uh, it's no exaggeration, Chester, to say you're one of the greatest storytellers of my generation through all your books and podcasting and, and, and speeches. Early in the book, you share a story about a young lady you call Chloe. Perhaps that's an assumed name. But it's a story I couldn't relate to. But it's a story that really kind of stopped me in my tracks. And I'm sure millions of people watching and listening right now can relate to. Can you kind of reconstruct that story, perhaps in maybe even painstaking detail? Because for all the formal leaders listening in right now, Chloe is on your team. And whether perhaps as a leader you are or are not relatable to this increasing topic of anxiety, this story is going to help you better understand what is the wave of a younger generation entering the workplace at what they're dealing with. And for many who perhaps are even older as well, recreate the Chloe story for us. Yeah, and, and not an uncommon story. You know, she's an archetype and, and we call her Chloe. Performed so well in school, top of her class, straight A's, recruited by some of the best firms, uh, took a job on the West Coast from the East Coast. So moved away from family, didn't have that support system there. And, starts off in her new job and of course wants to impress as we all do in our first job working like mad you know just crushing it you know excelling at everything that she did to the point where they just kept giving her more and more work well the anxiety kicks in and we'll talk a little bit about this idea of perfectionism that everything had to be of the finest quality everything had to be just perfect and she would spend hours and hours and hours was getting less and less sleep finally reaches her breaking point and goes to her boss and says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting overwhelmed. And her boss says, oh, you'll be fine. Everybody goes through that. It's a high pressure company we're with. You're doing great. Just keep doing what you're doing. You know, the old adage, just rub some dirt in it and get back on the game. <laughs> you know, you're going to be fine. Just keep doing what you're doing and keep pushing forward. And, and she does to the point where she just blinks out. She just ghosts them. She just disappeared. She just packed up and went home because she just couldn't take it anymore. No one was listening. I think that was the key. Her voice was not heard. And no matter her success, which was great, she was a rising star. She just couldn't take it anymore. And I'll tell you what's really interesting about that, Scott, is this idea of just listen to me. You know, we had a wonderful interview with a leader. We said, well, as people come to your managers with their anxiety, what do you tell them to do? Because they're not clinical psychologists. They don't you know, know what to do necessarily other than, hey, go to the employee assistance program, right? And he said, you know what? When people come to you like Chloe did, they don't expect you to have all the answers. Here's what they expect you to do. They expect you to listen listen and empathize that's what they want they just want to be heard and boy it seems like such a simple thing to do and yet it's really hard for leaders to be that vulnerable and be that transparent and say hey let's just talk chester this might be a broad generalization but directionally i think there's some legitimacy here uh it's been my experience in 30 plus years in the leadership development industry that most 
leaders were promoted because they were star individual producers, right? They were high on productivity, they were higher in activity. They may or may not have had any of the competencies required to be a leader of people, but they were promoted to become a leader because they were a standout individual producer. High on outcomes, probably sometimes maybe the life even out of balance, right? There were, their job was a, a, an important focal point. They become promoted into leadership and they're fixated on outcomes and productivity and quality. And therefore now they are the leader of the team and they're creating the culture. This is the only culture they know, how to turn other people into clones of themselves. To the extent there's truth in that, and you're welcome to debunk that, what advice would you give to the leaders of people who are listening to this podcast right now? They're watching you, and they're thinking about the members on their team. They were promoted to be a leader because they were a standout star individual contributor, and they need to be more empathetic to the members of their team and be listening and aware of the signs of anxiety that could be crippling their people or even could be lessening the long-term health and engagement of their team. What do we look for? What do we hear? What do we do about it? Well, you know, it's such a great point, Scott, because that, that that's almost a parable, right? Top performer becomes manager, hates it, right? right. And his team hates him or right. her, right? right. So or just idea- substitute him with Scott. <laughs> <laughs> We should bring your staff on right now. What do you really think of Scott? Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's really interesting to me that, and you have such great advice there, is don't project. Just because you love the pressure doesn't mean your team loves the pressure. Just because you want to be promoted doesn't mean your team wants, team members want to be promoted. So we say, know your team. Know your team. Get to know your team. What are they not only competent at or good at? You know, that's their resume, their CV. What are they passionate about? And so as we, we, we tell leaders to say, look, as, as there are clues if you're paying attention when people are suffering. And usually it's a change in behavior that just seems a little out of character. Uh, people that are showing up late, that are never late. Uh, reports that aren't as detailed when the reports were always wonderfully written and, and on time. Um, outbursts, uh, all of a sudden somebody's taking offense that never does. Or somebody that gets really quiet that usually uh, performs. Now, when that happens, we, we coach people up and say, look, the last thing you wanna do is pull Scott aside and say, hey, Scott, are you suffering from anxiety? <laughs> that really heightens right. people's anxiety, right? <laughs> We've got a great right. quote that says, never in the history of the world has telling someone to calm down ever calmed down anybody, so right? <laughs> so, so, you know, we make light of it and yet know your team, know them well enough. And so when those things start to happen, the one-on-ones are so important and they don't need to take all day, right? It, it can literally be a few minutes and just say, and this is where empathy comes in. Say, hey, listen, I, I've just noticed a couple of things that you're showing up a little late and everything. And is there anything I can do to help? Or, or, is there anything going on that's maybe distracting you from work? And then the empathy kicks in and say, listen, I know that I'm struggling. You know, I'm having to homeschool my kids on Zoom and it's the worst way to teach anybody anything, right? Um, I'm worried about some age and parents and so on. And so if you've got stuff like that going on, don't worry about it. We're all struggling with that. Is there anything I can do to help? And then have the conversation and just listen. You know, Brene Brown does this wonderful uh, little video on the difference between sympathy and empathy. And she says, empathy is when you know you're down in this dark hole and you feel all alone and and you're miserable and 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 
empathy, the empathetic leader crawls down the ladder with you and, and says, hey, uh, I know it's, it's hard down here. And that's when you become vulnerable and say, you know, it's been hard for me too. We can sort this out together. You're not alone. You know, sympathy is, ooh, that's bad. <laughs> Bummer, dude. <Yeah. laughs> Want a sandwich? You know, it's, it's you know, can I give you a number to call? Are you taking any medication? You know, empathy is when you need to be vulnerable. And I think that gets to be really hard for people um, to be honest and vulnerable. And yet the leaders that do it, spectacular results. Chester, the release of this book could not have been more genius in terms of the timing around the world, right? There's not a person in the world who either isn't dealing with anxiety or needs to know how better to be empathetic to those who are, especially as leaders. You share in this book kind of eight big ideas, and I want to have you touch in a moment on some of the ones that you think might be most relevant for the leaders listening. But there was a, a, an interview you shared in the book, and the book is just chock full of, as all your and Adrian's books are, great stories, so relatable stories. In one of these, you talked about one CEO we discussed this with admitted, quote, honestly, we have used pressure as a weapon to get people to perform better. We cranked up the anxiety more than thinking about how we could alleviate it. I mean, I don't think this is an unnatural, horrifying, but a natural culture in many organizations. What do you say to those leaders that right now that think, you know what, maybe I have cranked up the pressure as a weapon to drive productivity. What are some things, again, tangible words, phrases? You're great for giving people immediate tools they can integrate into their lexicon or to their behavior. What are some more things that people, leaders can be thinking about and doing today after this podcast, tomorrow after they finish reading your book, to show more empathy to the people on their teams that have real anxiety? Yeah, well, my first piece of advice is if, you, if you're wielding pressure and anxiety uh, to get greater results, uh, stop that. <laughs> stop doing that. Um, the short-term gains, you know, are, are great. I mean, we all know that, you know, when there's a lot of pressure, short-term is great. Great leaders, and if you want your legacy to be a great leader, and I think most leaders do, is you play the long game. You know, what will your legacy be? You know, it's really interesting. I was at a conference some years ago, and they asked, you know, the up-and-coming leaders, what do you expect from your leader? And one answer that has always stuck with me, and I, I thought it was brilliant, said, you know, I don't want my leader just to make me a more efficient worker, a better employee. I want my leader to help me become a better person. Now, think about that for a minute. See, my generation, you could work nine to five. There were no smartphones. Like when you left the office, people couldn't get a hold of you. It was actually pretty great, <laughs> right? Now work is 24 seven. You know, people expect you to respond no matter where you are. It reminds me of the old country song, it's five o'clock somewhere, right? Let's go have a drink. So this idea of what do you want to be remembered for the long game? Because when you wield that cudgel of pressure and anxiety for the short-term game, you burn people out and you lose people. So churn, yeah, if you're just going to burn and churn people, great. What will your legacy be? What will you be remembered for? You know, our, our good friend uh, Marshall Goldsmith was telling me a story just the other day. He said, you know, I've, I've got this billionaire that I'm coaching. And he said, he doesn't want me to coach him up to be richer. He's got all the money he'll ever need. And Marshall said, well, why do you want to coach then? He says, because you coached my friend and he's never been happier. Hmm. 
And that's what I want. I don't want to be any richer. I just finally want to be happy. See, the one thing that we've all got in common, Scott, whether we're bagging groceries or we're titans of industry, is when it's all said and done, we just want to be happy. And it's really hard to be happy and engaged and passionate about your work when you've got this anxiety that's just gnawing in the back of your brain. The uncertainty, which is the first strategy that you need to deal with. You know what the biggest uncertainty in the workplace is, Scott? Will I have a job? Yeah. Makes sense, doesn't it? Do I have a job? Am I secure? Do you think that causes a little anxiety in most people? Absolutely. Chester, again, you're not a human resource expert, right? But you certainly have, like I said, four decades of experience in helping organizations build cultures. You've been a leader and you've been in sales and and, uh, uh, as a, a prolific author. I'd ask you, what advice would you give to the people leader that's working in an organization where increasingly, you know, trust is rocky, litigious instances are up. You can't you know, ask people if they have a clinical problem. You have to be thoughtful of the HIPAA rules. Are there some words or advices that you might impart again to our leaders if they, if they think someone is having some anxiety, be it clinical or an outcome of worry? What, what, what are some safe next steps that a leader could use with someone to make sure that they are feeling like they're in a safe environment and that they're loved and cared about by their leader? It's such a great question and and two things. One is you've got to take away as much uncertainty as you can. And the way you do that is you up your communication. You know, we did a wonderful um, two-year study of Texas Roadhouse restaurants, right? And as soon as the pandemic hit, Five million people in the restaurant industry lost their jobs. Not one of them worked for Texas Roadhouse. 70,000 employees. What the leaders there did is they met every day and they talked about, do we have enough PPE? How are our people doing? Who can come to work? Who can? Doesn't matter if they can come to work or they can't. We're telling them right now we're going to pay you. Talk about take away some anxiety, right? Um, Kent Taylor, the founder, uh, put a million dollars, his million dollar salary into the employee relief fund and another five million of his personal wealth. So right away, he said, everybody take a deep breath, you're gonna be able to pay your bills. And then they met every day. They upped the communication, there was no mystery. Here's what we're gonna do to reopen. Here's what we're gonna do for takeaway. Here's what we're gonna do to keep you safe. Here's what we're gonna do to be profitable again. And within four weeks, they were in the black again. In four weeks. You know, the other thing they upped exponentially, not only did communication go exponentially, gratitude went up exponentially. Thank you so much for bearing with us. We're going to keep you as informed as we can. Here's how we're going to do it. Come on in. There's going to be a lot more training. We're going to keep everybody safe. So he started with his employees, which I I love when you work at Texas Roadhouse. You're a roadie. That's a great title, right? I'm a roadie. I'm going to follow the band. Take care of your roadies, your customer, your community, and then your stakeholders. And who is the biggest beneficiary? Their stock went from 70-something to 18 it's almost at 100 now. And that's the formula. So up the communication and up the gratitude. Secondly, what I would recommend that you do as a leader is career pathing. The number one reason millennials lose their job or, or leave a job is nowhere to grow. So sit down with people and say, hey, what are you, what are you curious about in the business? Where would you like to be three to five years from now? You know, what is, what, what is it about the job that really energizes you? It makes for a great day. What what are the things that demotivate you, that really bother you? And what else would you like to know about the business? 
Scott O'Neill, um, one of the great leaders that we've gotten to know over the years, he's the CEO of HBSE, that Harris Blitzer Sports Entertainment. They own the 76ers and the New Jersey Devils hockey team, which unfortunately is my team, and they're not doing really well right now, but I digress. <laughs> um, the point is, he says, know your people, know their dreams, because you're going to have people on your team, and guess what? They want to go to the moon, and you know what? You should help them get there. Now, think about that. I've upped my communication. I've upped my gratitude that you believe that what you do matters, that you're making a difference. And when you make a difference, it's noticed and celebrated. I know what's going on. I have a career path forward that builds trust. That allows me to inhale and exhale so that if I'm dealing with anxiety, I have a trusted partner. And let me tell you why that's so important, Scott, because back to the data, right? Do you know that only 10% of employees that we surveyed, only 10% felt safe talking to their leader about mental health or anxiety. Now, question to you, Scott, why is it only 10%? I can talk to him about having the flu, breaking my leg. Why can't I talk about mental health and anxiety? Why is it only 10%? I don't know, tell me. It's not safe. Mm -hmm. It'll end my career. Yeah. Cisco did a survey of their employees and they said when it comes to this, they would rather talk to a bot than to a real person. You know why? A bot doesn't gossip. Yeah. You can tell everybody it's confidential. You know what? Most people do not believe you. Do, do you have time for a quick personal story? Please. Then I'm going to talk about being an ally. Oh, and I love that. Yes, I'll make this fast. So my generation, right? Uh, I'm a regional sales manager doing all kinds of stuff. My One of my best friends in the company was a woman named Kay Jorgensen. Love Kay. And I was involved in a bunch of projects over and above everything I was doing in sales. And I'll never forget, Kay calls me and I'm in my car and I'm driving down the Garden State Park, right? And I am getting really worked up. I know that you find that hard to believe. Really worked up. And I'm talking and I'm getting, and I'm driving faster and faster. I'm, I'm going like 95 miles an hour down the Garden State Park. Luckily, I wasn't in the school zone. And Kay says, Chester, you know what? You got to take a deep breath. You need to take some time off. Let me get you some counseling. And I paused and I said, Kay, not in a million years. She said, Chester, it's all confidential. I said, Kay, I'm in sales. I disappeared for two weeks. Never going to have, you put that in my jacket, you will end my career. I got this. I'll be fine. I didn't believe it. And then my son started to deal with anxiety and I told him the same thing. Suck it up. Millions of kids are going to school today. Why don't you be one of those? Get up. Let's get going. Slap a smile on that face. You can do it. You're an Elton, right? Didn't work. And then we got him a great counselor and I was converted because it saved his life. That's how personal it is for us. It literally saved his life. Chester, one of the big ideas you share in this book with your two, co two Gostic co-authors is this <laughs> idea of become an ally, help marginalized team members feel valued and accepted. Let's talk about that big idea. We hear a lot about being an ally right now in the world of unconscious bias and recognizing how we can lift those who perhaps are invited to the table but aren't invited to speak at the table um, or invited to the dance but aren't invited to dance. What advice do you give as it relates to this topic on anxiety and how we become an ally for those who are dealing with anxiety? Yeah, you know, I think at, every, at some point in our lives, we've always been the, the other person, that other kid 
you know, maybe when we were in the playground and we were the last one picked for the team or whatever, you know, it is so important because we have such a global sense of business and life that, you know, whether you're the only woman on the team or, you know, you're Muslim and you're looking for a place where you could pray safely three times a day or, or, or you're gay. And is it okay to put up a picture of my partner on, on, on my desk, the ally, and, and, and it should be the leader. It isn't always somebody on the team that is your ally that says, Hey, it's okay. It's safe. You know what? We value you for who you are. We're all different. And isn't that great? You know, it's, it's, it's really uh, funny. Scott, I, I, I love these ally buttons. You know, this is for the LGBTQ plus, right? Yeah. And I, I, I wear this all, all the time, you know, when I, I go to church and when we're in, uh, and I, it was so funny how the guy come up to you and goes, who's Allie? Who's Allie? <laughs> She's my gay friend or, the, or my non-binary friend. <laughs> <laughs> so you may not know this. This is kind of a big deal. Anyway, this idea that I have somebody that I can confide in that is my ally that will stick up for me, that will create so that when I have to go pray, or I'm a, a single parent and I've got to leave early to pick up my kid from school, or I've got a call and I've got to run, you know, because my kid needs stitches or whatever the case might be, that it's really safe. And when you have an ally, you don't worry about it. You don't stress about it. You don't hide it. You don't lie about it because we all know when you're lying about it. We don't know what's wrong. We just know something's wrong. And you don't want that in the workplace because that erodes trust and it erodes productivity and teamwork and everything else. So again, those one-on-ones, get to know your people, find out where those stress yeah. points are, yeah. where that anxiety might be and embrace it. You, you and I both know, we've, we've, we've looked at all the studies. When you've got not just diversity in, in gender and, and race, but diversity of thought and background and ethnicity and all those wonderful things, boy, that creates a rich formula for just great thinking and great products. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of being an ally. Chester, the, again, the timing of your book could not be more genius. <laughs> Anxiety at Work. But you've also written, like I said before, many other books, including this topic, Leading with Gratitude, a previous book that we actually had you on that became a bestseller. And I believe it was nearly every day, if not every day, for the last 13 months, I'm a big fan of yours on social media, you have posted something around what you're grateful for that day. Well, I'm posting my greatest accomplishment, you're <laughs> posting something that you're grateful for. And today... Uh, is I think maybe our 153rd episode and the executive producer of the On Leadership series is a man named Todd Music. And after a decade in the company, uh, this is his last podcast production. He is after a decade departing Franklin Covey and moving on to bigger and maybe better things. And I wanted uh, to his horror, invite him to quickly come on set because I want to acknowledge him. And really in the honor of your previous books, I want the world to know that uh, Todd's role in executive producing this podcast series has been invaluable. This would not exist if it were not for Todd's, uh, uh, his heart, his joy, his perseverance, his rallying behind me when I was interviewing people who perhaps were off topic or I was off topic. And although he didn't dress today for this, I want to bring him on because I want the world to know how much Franklin Covey is grateful for Todd's contribution. He's going to cross the camera. Forgive him. Come on board. This is Todd Music, 30-year um, veteran of the industry. He is an author himself. He wrote many books, including this book back here, Juggling Elephants. He is on, I'm sure, to writing more books. Todd, I want you to know 
from the board and the CEO to Amber and Brandon and Travis and Drew and everybody involved in the podcast, Matt Murdoch, the vice president of marketing. Um, although you're departing the company, you are a longtime friend of all of us and of the company. And Chester, you are, you are the, you're the spotlight to everyone. And for a moment, I want to take a moment of this time and just thank you for all your contribution. 150 plus episodes. We laugh about the guests who didn't show up and the books that I had read, but maybe read the wrong book for the interview that day, right? They had five books and I read the wrong book and Todd's prepping me for it out in the hallway. Any number of things, including why are you wearing stripes, Scott? I've asked you not to wear stripes. To, anyway, I want to, on behalf of the world list of listeners to On Leadership, thank you. Go buy his book, Juggling Elephants, right? He could use the royalty someday for his grandkids. Anyway, thank you again, bro. Thank it's you. awesome. Appreciate Chester, thanks for your contribution. Thank you for Anxiety at Work. It's on sale today. Buy this book. Buy copies for every leader in your organization that, so that they can become better attuned to perhaps the person on their team that could well be struggling with anxiety. Chester, in our last minute or two, anything you want to send us off with to allow everybody listening to be better, more comfortable talking about this ever-present ever topic? Yeah, and thank you so much. And by the way, that was a, that was a lovely moment. You know, I, I love that you recognize that, you know, you stand on the shoulders of giants, it's true. right? It's true. None of us do this by ourselves. We surround ourselves with great people. And, and isn't that just a wonderful way to get things done? You know, Scott, we're very passionate about this book for, for a lot of reasons. One is, you know, we spend a lot of time studying cultures and we spend so much time at work, more time at work than anywhere else. It should be a great place to work. It should be a place where we feel not just psychologically safe, we feel emotionally safe. And we should be able to, to go in and we should be able to be ourselves. We mm -hmm. should be able to be transparent. Our, our last two books, Leading with Gratitude and Now Anxiety at Work, to me have been so important because if you look at your phone and that news feed, you think the world is just going to hell in a handbasket, right? Everything is horrible and awful. And yet, if you just look around, there are good people everywhere, working hard, trying to you know, do the right thing by their families, by their communities, by their, by their friends. And you know what? We, they deserve to have leaders that can help them along the way. My, my, my hope and my prayer, literally, for people that read our books is that when they look back on their leadership legacy, that it will be filled with people that realize their potential, that were happy, that could provide for their families, that didn't come to work afraid for whatever reason, that you were their ally, you were their mentor. Because, you know, and, and we'll, we'll go to our, our friend Stephen Covey, you know, at your funeral, what do you want people to say? Man, that guy sold a lot of books. Or boy, that guy made a lot of money. No, you want to say that guy helped me. Hmm. That, 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 you know, she made me a better person, not just a better worker. And, and I think that's just not, uh, not just a good way to lead. That's just a better way to live. So, you know, from, from me to you and an expression of gratitude for letting me spread the news that, look, we've got to normalize this and destigmatize it. And let's empathize with people. Let's just be more kind. Let's be more grateful. And let's serve each other in a way that when it's all said and done and they tell our story, it'll be beautiful. And that's my story, and I'm sticking to it, Scott. Chester Elton, you are the very definition of an energy infuser. Thank you for joining us today on behalf of your co-authors. The book is out today, Anxiety at Work. I'm so grateful that we were able to turn our spotlight onto you for a change today. Thank you, Chester. You bet. Take care and be well. 
And thanks for joining us. We'll see you back here next week for a new episode on leadership.